0: Thank <laughs> you. Oh, I do like that one, it's got sort of a hep cat vibe to it. What's the scoop, Betty Boop? I was just checking the seals on my collection of spirit bottles. No, no, not the type that you drink, gin, rum, whiskey scotch these spirits are more of a phantasmic nature this one yes this one here in particular vexes me so it was given to me by a hoodoo queen in new orleans who assured me that it contains a hint now These others, yes, each in their own way, have given me some sort of indication that they are, shall we say, inhabited. But this one, nothing. How is one to tell if there is something in the bottle, if what is in there ain't supposed to be at all? it's quite tempting to simply open it. But then, hmm, why don't we have a story instead? Hmm? This evening's tale is by Mr. Evan Dickin and Mr. Shannon Ramp. By day, Mr. Dickin decorates antique maps and analyzes all manner of data for strange and, dare I say it, eerie medical experiments at... THE Ohio State University. By night, he does neither of these things. His audio fiction has most recently appeared in Pseudopod, Escape Pod, and The Overcast. And he has stories forthcoming from podcasts such as Cast of Wonders and Starship Sofa. Mr. Ramp lives in Alexandria, Virginia, where he practices an obscure and utterly intoxicated form of martial arts known as Drunken Yoga. Shannon has attended the Viable Paradise and Douse Toolbox Writing Workshops, and has been a semi-finalist for the Writers of the Future Awards. His poetry has appeared in Abyss and Apex. It will be read for us this evening by Ms. Ella Turan.
1: The Titan's Daughter by Evan Dickin and Shannon Ramp. Read by Ella Turan. Celia spit in her father's face then gave it a quick polish to buff away the worst of the tarnish. While the brass faceplate didn't exactly gleam, it still looked a damn sight better than the other zombies Celia had been shuffling around the ramshackle foulbergs that had sprung up outside New Orleans in the wake of Jim Crow. Unlike the garbage the Algiers factories churned out nowadays, the great Hippolyte Doreau had built his zombies to last looks just like you. Doc Gabriel leaned into the light of the shop's single haint bottle lamp. If you say so, Celia grimaced at the faceplate. She'd never really been able to see the resemblance. Doc tilted his head as if to pass a strange smell. Hmm, some may right. For true, what the hell happened? It didn't sit well with Celia to see a zombie in such bad shape, like coming home to find your brother had been kicked by a horse. Not the zombie, Doc chewed his lip. Something in the air. Storm coming? Since her father had built the Titan outside the Delta, the city hadn't seen a single flood. The Foulberg Shacks weren't much more than Splash Pine and Clapboard, It wouldn't take much more than a heavy rain to turn the place to Flotsam. This feels different, Doc said. Like when a wind blows off the gulf for days, then it stops and, and you come up wondering what changed. Strangely enough, although Celia could hear all the usual midday clamor, the elf felt almost empty. She didn't put much stock in Doc's hoodoo routine, but over the past 30 years, she'd seen plenty enough come true that folk had once considered magic. Uncomfortable, she shifted the haint bottle to better examine the zombie. Gonna take days to clean this out. Most of the zombie's bolts had rusted in their fittings, and the main drive looked not to have been greased since reconstruction. By all rights, she should have junked it for parts to use in a paying job, if she ever got a paying job. Doc blinked as if he'd just woken. Merci, merci. I'll be on my way then. Celia gave an absent nod, already wrist-deep in gears. The thing was a mess, but she didn't really mind, as her father had never failed to point out. Celia was only good at taking things apart. Don't worry, brother. We'll get you well again. She bent over the zombie, but had barely worked the first bolt loose when someone cleared his throat from the front of the shop. (coughs) Celia flinched, almost dropping her wrench. Doc, you gotta... Miss Thoreau. The man was about Celia's age, lighter skin than her, with thick, dark hair and a mustache, both neatly trimmed. He was smartly attired in navy socks and a starched shirt bound at the neck by a silk cravat. Celia swallowed her distaste. She tried telling herself a body needed work, needed money to get by in this world, but somehow seeing a colored man running errands for white folks just didn't sit right with her. Cravat stood straight back, eyes forward, as if to even acknowledge his surroundings might somehow dirty him. Madam Octavia Thoreau invites you for afternoon tea. What the hell does she want? Celia hadn't seen her aunt since her father's funeral. They'd made Celia stand at the back of the church, listening to a fat white Catholic minister drone on and on when everybody knew perfectly well Ippolyte Thoreau went to old Diane Baptist in the Marigny when he went to church at all. Besides... The joss furnace he'd climbed into had crisped him to a cinder. Not like anyone coulda known old Hop from Adam. She said that I'm to offer you five dollars for your time. Cravat held out his hand, silver glittering in his palm. Celia's jaw tightened. Being the only cuddled engineer in New Orleans, she should have been making a good wage. But the few sore, dispossessed freedom and former Jean de couleur libre who'd managed to keep their zombies and oxless ploughs after the Redeemer stole their land weren't able to offer much more than gratitude. Five dollars would set her up for a month. All she had to do was swallow her pride and take tea with the woman who turned her out on the street. She bit a lip. One hour. Cravat gave a smirking nod. Follow me, please. I know the way. Celia pushed past him, allowing herself a small smile at his disapproving cluck. Octavia was paying her to come, not to be polite. A high iron fence surrounded the mansion on Coliseum Street, It sprawled like a pale colossus among the smaller manors that had sprung up when much of the old garden district was dug up, subdivided, and sold to Irish and German carpetbaggers in the 70s. Cravat slipped through the gate, letting it swing closed in Celia's face. Uh, Apologies. He took his time with the latch. Celia trailed him through the garden, perfectly maintained even this late in the year, as if lilies and rose arbors could shield her aunt from the city beyond. Inside the manor, hardwood floors gleamed in the rich orange glow of arc lamps, very different from the sickly light of the haint bottles used in the poor sections of the city. A painting of Celia's great-grandfather, the Frenchman Louis de hung above a polished credenza, imported from Europe before she was born. Just like her father, Celia had never been able to see the resemblance. The clawing, dusty rose smell of the place churned up a roiling mess of childhood memories. Celia had been five when Hop first brought her here, face still wet from crying over her mother. She remembered his expression. Not... Sad about his wife's death, not ashamed at finding out he'd fathered a half-breed, but annoyed, as if he couldn't quite comprehend Celia's tears. Fix her, he'd said to Aunt Octavia, like Celia was a leaky steam pump. Her aunt had shouted a bit after that about what a little colored girl could do to the family name, about how it would have been better if the yellow fever had taken her too, about how it still could. Hop had bogged that outright murder at least. Maybe he saw her as another invention, or maybe he hadn't cared enough to be rid of her. Either way, it was off to the Titan with a warning to stay quiet and out of his workshop. Many of Hop's rivals would have given their eye teeth for the opportunity to watch the mad Cajun work, but Celia couldn't think of many little girls who would. She looked around for the most elegant couch among Octavia's furnishings, feeling, if not vindicated, then at least justified, as her greasy overalls left a stain on the fabric. "'Madame Octavia Thoreau,' Cravat returned, sneer-curdling as he noticed the couch. "'Celia, so lovely to see you again, my dear.' The gray-haired matron of the Thoreau family swept into the room, offering up the thin-lipped smile that was the trademark of the genteel Southern hospitality. You've been working hard, I see. What do you want, Octavia? No time for pleasantries, just like him. Octavia's smile slipped for a heartbeat. Very well. Your father, in his generosity, designed the titan to shield our city from storms. Celia narrowed her eyes, saying nothing. Hop had been many things, but generous wasn't one. Well, it it seems to be no longer operating. Celia blinked, realizing what Doc had felt, or more specifically, what he hadn't felt. New Orleans moved along, absent the familiar, chest-rattling thrum of the Titan. For years, I sent a load of Joss paper every month, and the zombies would take care of the rest. Then, about a week ago, the Titan just... stopped. Octavia's gaze flicked to a gilt-framed mirror on the wall, and she tucked back the loose strand of hair. Most of our money comes from the Algiers factories, but the Titan is the Rowe family property, and as we have a contract with the city, we could be sued should the waters rise. There's no we, remember. Celia relished the taste of the words. Grief makes us all say things we regret. Octavia raised a long-fingered hand. Wilson would you bring us some tea? With a bow, Cravat slipped from the room, taking Octavia's smile along with him. Listen, girl, she jabbed a finger at Celia. There's a storm coming, a big one. Thanks to your father's paranoia and his decision to climb into that Joss furnace, no one knows how to fix his ridiculous monolith. I was hoping you'd learn something while you were mooning around his workshop for all those years. Hop didn't let anyone into his workshop, even me, especially me, Celia said. Besides, it's still locked up tight and the only key went into the Joss furnace with him. Not the only key... Octavia drew a small, thin rod from the folds of her dress. Your father was cautious, but he was no fool. Every system needs a backup. Celia didn't even try to hide her scowl. Why not send one of your engineers? There must be a dozen at Algiers Point. Those Harvard thieves, they'd steal anything that wasn't bolted down. Octavia said, "'Better we keep this in the family.'" (laughs) "'So I'm family now?' "'Of a sort.'" Octavia's smile became patronizing. "'Besides, haven't you always wanted a peek inside your daddy's secret workshop?' Celia went still, just like she always did when she was nervous." For all Octavia's sudden talk of family, it was clear why her aunt wanted her to go. If Celia did find some new wonder inside the Titan, Octavia would just snatch it up like she had done all the others. Still, the thought of finally getting inside Hop's workshop sent her chest tingling. I might have an idea of how the Titan works, Celia said. But that doesn't mean I know how to fix it. And it certainly doesn't mean I'm going to fix it for you. We could negotiate compensation. Enough to maintain your circumstances. Perhaps even find a husband. So you're going to pay me money that should be mine to repair something you stole from me? The court's judgment on your father's estate was unequivocal. Without a will, this nothing to be done my father married a tent and a country preacher don't make for a wedding I don't know what pagan hoodoo your mother worked on my brother but Octavia took a slow breath eyes closed as she smoothed the wrinkles from her dress let's not poke holes in old dams shall we I shouldn't have come Celia stood Celia, Octavia's voice was cold and distant like hops. When this storm hits, who do you think will suffer the most? The whites here in uptown and the garden district? Celia's hands curled into fists, the unfairness of it all so hot and strong she thought it might burst from her chest like steam from a cracked boiler. When the city flooded, It would be the people of the Faubergs east of New Orleans and the Gentili who would die, separate and oh so very unequal. Your father would have done it, Octavia held up the key. Celia knew what Hop would have done. Not because it would save lives, but because the Titan was his creation. Its failure was his failure, and nothing that came from Hippolyte Toro could disobey him. Hadn't Celia spent hours with the zombies, back straight, eyes closed, legs burning from the effort of staying motionless? Once, during the low days of summer, the heat had been too much and she'd collapsed. Celia had woken to her father staring down at her, lips pursed, one thin eyebrow raised like he wanted to open her up and root around inside. Hop wouldn't have cared about the Foulbergs, but it was easy not to care when you'd grown up rich and white, when you'd never been chewed up by the stripped gears of the world no one would admit was broken. Celia snatched the key then shoved past cravat taking no small pleasure as he lurched to keep the contents of his tray from spilling to the door. You'll do it then, Octavia called after her. Celia didn't answer, but she didn't need to. Outside, dark clouds gathered in the distance. The tramp steamer sat low in the water, thudding against the ramshackle dock with every wave. Celia rattled up the dock, arms around her canvas satchel. A few dozen men in ratty brown overalls waited for her on the deck, at ease but for the occasional anxious glance at the shadow on the horizon. "'Get on with you,' the closest man waved a hand in front of his face, like Celia was a bad odor. "'Ain't got no room for no—' He looked over his shoulder. "'Wilson?' Celia glanced back to see Cravat picking his way down the wharf. This, he glanced at Celia, individual is to be transported to the Titan. Celia worked her tongue over her teeth. So Octavia sends her errand boy to... Do you think I came for her? Cravat leaned so close she could count the freckles on his nose. I have family in the Gentilly. Two daughters and a baby on the way. They're why I'm here. If the Titan isn't working when the storm comes in, he wiped his hand across his mouth, then stormed up the pier. Celia cursed. She only ever been good at taking things apart things, people, relationships. It wasn't supposed to be like this, it hadn't been like this. The Civil War had chopped down the old, bitter tree of slavery and Reconstruction laid a brand new foundation over the torn earth. They'd had a breath of land, rights, even a colored governor. But slavery hadn't been a tree. It had been a weed. Its wicked roots sunk deep into the country. Celia still couldn't believe it had fallen apart so quickly. She jogged after Cravat. No. Wilson. "'I'm sorry,' Celia said, her face hot. "'We got enough trouble already. No need to go making any more. I aim to try and fix the Titan if I can, but not because Octavia asked me.' "'Must be nice to have that luxury,' Wilson said. Celia wrestled with the urge to punch him in the side of the head. Fool couldn't even see she was trying to apologize.' Instead, she settled for kicking a coil of rope overboard and glaring at the sailors, daring them to say something. Wilson's shoulders rounded. Used to be an accountant before the Redeemers. Not much call for bookkeeping in the Foulbergs. Listen, I'm not proud of what I... It's not your fault. It's... She waved at the city, heat prickling her cheeks. Maybe it is but I'm not the one to fix it. Wilson nodded and left her to board the ship. Good luck. Celia didn't look back as the steamer got underway, the wheezing chug of the joss furnace, telling her its steels were worn. They would have been easy to fix, but Celia wasn't in much of a fixin' mood. As New Orleans receded, the titan loomed from the sea ahead, its broad shoulders picked out in riveted steel, arms outstretched as if to embrace the delta. Waves crashed around its chest, flowing back to reveal the kelp, barnacles, and other ocean detritus that covered its torso. Mist wreathed its face, The familiar self-assured smile, at odds with years of accumulated bird droppings. Celia found herself searching the titan's eyes for the bright, unwavering gleam of arc lamps that meant her father was hard at work. For a moment, she thought she caught a flicker of light, little more than the glimmer of a haint bottle cast into the sea. She squinted up at the titan, strangely comforted by its confident stillness, dwarf, and yet unmoved by the churning vastness of the ocean beyond. It took her a moment to recognize the light, queasiness in her chest, not as apprehension, but relief. I'm coming home. 263 Steps led from the steel vault door set into the titan's midsection to the reverberatory chamber in its chest. Celia had run the stairs at night, up and down, eyes closed and arms outstretched, the slap of bare feet on metal lost within the measured cadence of the titan's heart. She'd never thought of it as anything but a heart even after her father had explained the non-Euclidean, lane line dynamics that allowed the time reverberatory pulses to bleed energy from coastal tides. Celia found herself listening for the deep rumble as she ascended, grasping for the rhythm that would guide her steps. But the only sounds were the hollow echo of her boots. The reverberatory chamber should have been bustling, a horde of zombies maintaining the intricate jumble of gears, shafts, and belts. Instead, all four hundred automatons stood in tight rows upon the production floor, arms raised like parishioners expecting a benediction. Celia grimaced against the tightness in her throat gaze drawn to the empty space, fourth row, seven rank, where she had always stood. She walked among the statues of steel and brass, arc lamp held high. Tarnish made shadows under their eyes and around their uniform smiles, lending their expressions a sorrowful, almost regretful air. She laid a tentative hand on a zombie's chest fingers tracing to the hollow below the left shoulder where enamel had chipped away to expose its inner workings, then down below its ribs where she'd scratched a name all those years ago. Crusoe. Celia's words were barely a whisper. She ghosted among them, touching faces, arms, shoulders. She knew them all from Lafitte's chipped tooth, to the dent in Pontchartrain's chest plate, to the scuff marks just below the knee on Sandpiper's left leg, a thousand tiny imperfections clear as fingerprints to a girl who'd grown up among them. Thunder boomed. The first patters of rain ringed from the Titan's exterior. She gazed up at the massive drive assembly. The great gears were silent but well-maintained None of the belts had slipped, and the shafts had been recently oiled. Falling back on an old standby, Celia gave the assembly panel a kick, then froze as someone cleared his throat behind her. She flinched, feeling like a fool when she turned, and her light revealed nothing more than the scaffolded shadows of machinery. Hop was dead. There was no one to punish her for drawing on bulkheads or playing pirates with the zombies. Back prickling, Celia examined the myriad dials and pressure gouges, finding each within normal limits. She'd need to check the furnace. Celia swallowed against memories of what she'd found amidst the ashes last time, arms and legs curled in like a dead bug, skin blackened to char. She'd always thought she'd hated her father. But there had been the tears in her eyes when she dragged him loose, his flesh crumbling away in great, powdery sheets to reveal bone-burnt and almost translucent gray by the heat and pressure of the furnace. Eighty-seven stairs led to the Titan's heart, cold and dark in its nest of cogs and pulleys, Beyond that lay exactly one hundred more, counted but never climbed up to Hop's workshop. The furnace door was open. The metal cold against Celia's palm as she shone her lamp inside. The light revealed a wasteland in miniature. Drifts of ash piled high against a sky of soot-blackened bronze. Amidst the dust and cinders were bones. Bones. Skulls stared, slaw-jacked and sightless from a carpet of disjointed arms and legs, half-buried cages poking from the refuse like the picked-over remains of some ancient Levithian. Celia's stunned exhalation sent squalls of ash swirling about the furnace. She stumbled back, catching the rail, head low as she drew in a long, shuddering breath trying to master her terror, remembering, but not wanting to. She'd been alone almost a month before the crew of the cargo steamer had found her, naked and covered with ash, almost falling over from hunger. There had been food, but zombies don't eat, don't sleep, don't suffer. Celia had stumbled out with the unloaders, trying to blend with her brothers to be as perfect as them. Movement from below caught her eye, metal glittering at the far edge of her arc light. Celia squinted down at the assembly floor. The zombies were watching her. Sickly blue haint light glittered in their eyes. Identical smiles, bright with cold purpose. As one, they turned and marched toward the stairs, the rhythm of their feet like the clatter of an iron drum. They swarmed up the steps like so many bronze-chased ants. Celia ran up the stairs, drawn Octavia's key from her pocket. At the top of the stairs, there was a riveted door. She fumbled the key in the lock, twisted hard enough to hurt The tumblers turned, the door opened with a soft hiss, and she stumbled into the workshop. Celia had expected workbenches and stations, glass balls of crackling light, half-finished zombies hanging from armatures of steel and wire, even a new, strange invention, anything but a pile of bodies. Most of the arc lamp had burnt out with few flickering bulbs that remain, casting the dead in harsh relief. Pale, with dark hair and long, thin eyebrows, they lay in a loose heap, Stand with deep blue eyes, gone, insipid in death. Some were barely children, their skin smooth and bodies still soft with baby fat. Others were tall and wiry, their sharp, uniform faces gone bloodless and slack. They were him. They were all him. A giggle slipped from her lips, high and mad. All those bodies and Celia still couldn't see the resemblance. Long ropes of braided copper wire threaded the workshop like tack on an old sailing ship. Sinew tied and humming with power, they ran from a collection of thin metal pillars around one edge of the workshop to a half dozen bronze vats at the back. Lightning crackled outside, the wise hum rising to a high pitched whine as forks of pale blue energy crackled down their lengths. No, that won't do. A tall shadow moved behind the vats dragging another body towards the pile. Celia blinked away the bright afterimage the lightning had branded over her vision, and the shadow resolved into her father. Far older, far grayer, but certainly Ippolyttero. Ah, there you are, he coughed, bright blood spotting the front of his shirt, then adjusted his grip on the corpse. Help me with this. We buried your bones in Lafayette Cemetery, Celia swallowed against the tremor in her voice. The whole district turned out. My bones? Yes, I suppose they were. Hop let the corpse drop with a sour grimace. Now, come along. It was one of those I found in the furnace that day. Celia nodded at the pile of corpses. She could hear the zombies on the landing, but didn't care. Why? Hop cleared his throat. throat) Come over here, Celia. I won't ask again. Something awful occurred to her. Does Octavia know? Hop ignored her taking a rubber-handled wrench from the nearby workbench to adjust the position of the copper wire on one of the steel pillars. No, not pillars, Celia realized. Lightning rods. She realized why the Titan had stopped. Her father had wanted the storm. Enough of this. Hop gave an irritated flick of his hand, calling over her shoulder. You two, take her. The rest go back below. Cold metal hands closed around Celia's arms. She recognized Crusoe and Lafitte. They seemed almost to drag their feet, heads hanging like they were marching to an execution. You weren't my first choice. Hop coughed, then wiped the sleeve across his bloody mouth. Damn consumption. All those bodies and I still can't get me quiet right. Never live more than a few minutes. Ah, well, next time. This storm will kill thousands, she said. I need the power, he shrugged. Besides, how many have my inventions saved? How many will my new one save? Seelah struggled against the zombies, but their grip was literally iron. No use struggling, girl. The storm is nearing its peak. Don't worry. The transferring shouldn't hurt, in theory. You're a failsafe, close enough, not ideal, but better than. He nodded at the pile of corpses as he gingerly lowered himself into one of the vats. Everything's already in place. The will has become public by now. Congratulations, you're my heir. You don't have to do this, Celia said eyes stinging with tears. Of course I do. It's the reason I took you in the first place. I wasn't talking to you. For all his monstrous arrogance, Hop had been right about one thing. Celia was good at taking things apart. She twisted in the zombie's grasp, slipping her fingers into the bare spot underneath Crusoe's shoulders to hook his exposed drive belt and pulled it from the runners. Feeling his grip loosen, Celia turned to spring the broken clasp on Lafitte's chest plate and pressed the leather belt into his gears. Both zombies collapsed, almost gratefully to the floor. Celia stepped to the edge to look down at her father. She'd expected anger, fear... Maybe even sadness. But all she could muster was faint disgust. Did the fever really kill my mother? Hop pushed up from the vat. I didn't put up with insolence from a child, and I certainly won't. Celia calmly shoved him back in. He came up choking, viscous, fluid cover in his face. Celia grabbed a handful of his hair, then ducked him back under before he could call back the zombies. She lay on the rim of the vat to press down with all her weight. Slick hands pawed at her, then at her face, but she turned her head away. The wall of the workshop was bronze, polished to a mirror sheen that almost glowed in the light of the arc lamps. Celia's gaze was drawn to her reflection in the metal, eyes bright and cheeks shining with sweat. She smiled, tilting her head, one eyebrow raised, just like her. Like gears clicking into place, she finally saw the resemblance. Her father was old, sick, but it still took him a long time to die. Celia held on, gaze drifting to the steel rods out of concern that the stray bolt of lightning might finish them both or switch their souls. But no electric snap broke the steady hail of rain, and after what seemed like an hours. Her father finally went limp. She left him, face down in the vat, stumbling over to the zombies on legs gone rubbery. Crusoe's drive belt had been roughed a bit by Lafitte's gears, but when she finally worked it free, the leather seemed whole enough to serve until she could find a replacement. The zombies stood, concern in their bearing. If not on their smiling faces. Celia hugged them. It's all right. I'm alive. They didn't move. Come with me. There was a moment of anxiety as she turned her back on them, then giddy relief as they fell into step behind her. Hop had given her command authority. She threw the door lever and stepped out of the workshop. The zombies waited below, arms raised, back in perfect rows. "'We need to get the heart working again,' Celia frowned when they didn't move. "'Sorry, we need to get the reverberatory chamber working again.' The zombies moved off, attending to their duties with clockwork precision. Soon a heavy thrum resounded through the chamber. It cut through the rattle of gears and drowned the angry thunder, vibrating within Celia's chest like the beat of cruer drums and carnival. She closed her eyes, letting her breath in one long sigh, her whisper filling the expected hush between beats. Welcome back, brother. The sea was calm. The sky clear and blue, a light breeze stirring little more than Celia's hair as she waded in the shadows of the Titan, flanked by Lafitte, Pontchartrain, and Crusoe. Octavia stepped gingerly off the trap's seamer gangplank, scowling as if she'd come through a raging storm rather than a beautiful autumn day. Wilson trailed behind her, a parasol tucked under his arm, his expression a studious blank. They proceeded across the metal dock, their steps out of time with the measured rhythm of the titan's heart. Huh? Octavia halted a few steps away, her back tentpole straight. Celia fought the urge to bloody her aunt's nose. Octavia had known, had essentially sent Celia to die. She tilted her head smiling as she raised one eyebrow. The tension went out of Octavia's stance, and she gave an irritated shake of her head. You were supposed to come back to the city, not hide away in this metal coffin. I've been busy. Celia tried to keep her tone light and cold. So, the will has been published? I said I would handle it. Everything is yours, same as before. Of course, I'll continue to run the Algiers Point factories and oversee our interests in... No. <laughs> what, dear? Octavia frowned. I said, no. Celia took a quick step toward her aunt, shedding her barred effect like a musty shirt. I'm taking over the factories, the business, everything. You, Octavia spat the word like a curse. Me, Celia smiled now, wide and threatening, wanting to savor this moment. It's more than you deserve, but I'll let you keep the manor and provide you with a small stipend, enough to maintain your circumstances, perhaps even find you a husband. In exchange, you'll support me in the family business and not say a word Otherwise, if you don't, you think for a moment I'd let some half-breed bastard swoop in and... If you don't, or if you try to leave the city... Celia let some of Hop's coldness creep back into her voice. I won't hesitate to send a zombie to twist your head off. Maybe in your bedroom. Maybe on a crowded street. Either way, you'll never see it coming. Zombies are everywhere. Can you tell them Papa? At Celia's nod, her zombies surrounded Octavia, their metal grins seeming to drip with cruel promise. Octavia glared at Celia, then whirled, pushing her way past Lafitte and Pontchartrain to stomp across the dock in a storm of spitting, slit-eyed rage. You'll do it then, Celia called after her. Her aunt didn't answer. But she didn't need to. Thank you. Celia grinned at the zombies. They seemed to bob their heads. Just a twitch. So fast Celia would have missed it if she hadn't been looking for the reaction. But it sent a delighted shiver down her spine. What was that? Wilson stared after Octavia. My father's will has just come to light, Celia smiled. "'You're an accountant, right?' "'He blinked at her. "'Yes, but I'll need help managing the Thoreau books,' he frowned. "'After what I said about I can fix this on my own.' "'Wilson worked a finger under his cravat. "'You Thoreaus are all mad.' "'That's a yes, then?' "'Sure enough, I, I suppose.' Celia laughed bright and clear wilson was just the first the fallbergs were full of wasted potential men and women set free in a world with no place for them it wouldn't be easy to change reconstruction had proven that octavia was the least of celia's worries the cruel violent machine that kept america in chains was liable to break before it bent But that didn't bother her. She had her zombies, her friends, her titan. Not to mention, Celia was good at taking things apart.
0: Our narrator, Ella Turen is an artist and entrepreneur. As a voice actor, she has worked on projects for talking book productions, and creative media design. Ella's first solo play, Love, Locks, and Liberation, was selected for the Downtown Urban Arts Festival, the United Solo Festival, and the Los Angeles Women's Theatre Festival. For more information, visit Ellatoren.com. Now, for business... We have gone to print, and our first issue is now available in both analog and electronic formats. If you buy from our website, more of the proceeds from the ebook will go toward keeping the bills paid here at the gallery. Also, writers, your next submission opportunity will be for the month of February in 2018. We read blindly, so please, do not put your personal information on your manuscript. And frankly, as I have not personally met everyone who reads for us, and the internet being what it is, just... just don't. We'd rather not know. I certainly would rather not know. You may put your physical contact information in your cover letter, which is only ever read by one person, it's not me. or. Leave it until it is asked, should we accept your story? And, if you would like to be one of the readers for the upcoming session, we do have an opening. We require that you have a Gmail account and some familiarity with using the Drive documents and Sheets. Further, be able to log on to a Google Sheet for Staff Chat on Thursdays during the month of February, through to whenever we are finished reading. Send an email of interest to curiousgallery at gmail.com and Kevin will get back to you. But for now, it's time we close. Do visit us again next time at the Gallery of Curiosity. The Gallery of Curiosities is produced under a Creative Commons International 4.0 non-commercial attribution no derivatives license. That means, don't sell it, change it, or make a transcript. Tonight's story music was by Kevin MacLeod. Our theme song is Ashes Ashes by Deus Ex Vapora Machina. This episode was produced in January of 2018. For full show notes, visit us on the web at gallerycurious.com.